We're going to turn to Scripture now, to the book of Galatians. Um, if you're following in the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 1168, Galatians chapter 1. Um, it is um, somewhere in the middle of the New Testament. Uh, you've got your Gospels, you've got Acts, Romans, the Corinthian letters, and then you'll find Galatians after that. Um, if you say, as I say, if you're in the Pew Bibles, page 1168, Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to read the first uh, 10 verses uh, of that that book. It's a new series that we're starting today, and we'll talk a little bit more about that after we've read the passage, a series called Essentials. Um, Galatians chapter 1 says it says there, verse 9, but I've snuck into verse 10 with my sermon, so we'll live with that. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than, one, other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. We end our reading there. We thank God for that word. Let us pray. Loving God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that Paul has written, not just to the churches in Galatia, but to all Christians. And it is a word that has been inspired by your Holy Spirit, so it is a word that is meaningful for us today. And we pray, God, that we will draw meaning from it that you will add your blessing to it as I share the words that you have laid on my heart today. May it draw us closer to you, closer in love, closer in obedience. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago over coffee, uh, some of us were talking about uh, some of the old movies uh, I'm not ready to call them classics yet. They were movies I watched as a teenager, so they're not, they're not classics. They're, they're just old movies. Um, but we, we, what we were talking about was, was whether these movies, um, it, it, what would it be like if they remade these movies, if they, if they did new versions of these movies? And we were thinking specifically around the special effects. Would it be a good thing um, to, to remake some of these movies? Would it not be a good thing? And, and I'm, while I'm willing to concede that, that maybe the special effects in, in The Highlander, you've seen The Highlander, um, special effects are not fantastic. 
Um, and, and certainly Christopher Lambert, a, a French actor's Scottish accent is maybe as good as the special effects. Um, I can concede that. But um, any remake of, of The Highlander, uh, for me, will surely do away with the one thing that turns it from a good movie into a great movie, um, and that is the soundtrack by Queen. Um, so, so uh, like I say, while I'm willing to concede that, that there are certain things that are not great, um, I would hate for them to remake the movie and lose that soundtrack. Of course, there are some movies that just the idea of remaking them um, is, is, is not even a conversation um, that's up for discussion. Back to the Future, never ever remake Back to the Future. The Breakfast Club, never remake The Breakfast Club. Um, it was bad enough that, that uh, the Star Wars movies that, that George Lucas decided to add a few CGI additions um, to the original trilogy of the Star Wars movies. I suppose my position on remaking classics or old movies um, is that um, some things should simply not be touched. Don't add to them, don't take anything away from them. They are great and perfect and brilliant just as they are. And in relation to the gospel, it's with that attitude that Paul approaches this letter to the Galatians. Today we begin a new series looking at this letter. This is one of Paul's strongest worded letters that he writes because there is a lot at stake um, in this letter. His main concern was about what was being presented to the churches in Galatia about what the gospel is. He was worried that things were being added to this gospel, that things were being ignored about the gospel. People were undermining the sufficiency of belief in Christ alone for salvation. They were teaching that, that following Old Testament laws and practices like, like, like circumcision were necessary to be a good Christian. That in order to become a Christian, people first had to become Jews. They first had to um, follow the, the, the Judaic laws. Paul saw this as the equivalent of living in the flesh rather than living in the spirit. And so through this letter, Paul addresses his concerns um, and his understanding of what the gospel really is and the dangers of adding things to the gospel and the dangers of, of taking things away and in the end making the gospel far less than it actually is. This letter is important to us because had Paul allowed these teachings to go unchecked in this, in this region of, of modern-day Turkey, the danger is that Christianity might simply have become a branch of Judaism. But this letter is important beyond just the region of Galatia. It's important beyond just the people that this letter was written to initially. This letter had, has had a big impact on Christianity. Martin Luther said that this, this letter, this epistle to the Galatians is, is my epistle. He called it his, my, he called it his Catherine. Catherine was his, his wife's name. That is how important this letter was to him. It was the motivation behind the Reformation, a rethinking of what the gospel is and, and what it had allowed to become, what it had been made out to be. It was after hearing a sermon on, on Galatians that, that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, was inspired to rethink what the church of his time was teaching and what it was living out. 
It was an important letter to the original people that it was written to. It was an important people, a letter to, to the people who would lead the church through the Reformation. And if we truly believe that we are going through a period that we might call a, a new Reformation for Christianity today, then it must be an important letter for us today. We have called the sermon series Essentials. Not because we want to do some teachings on the basic building blocks of, of our faith, but because it's important for us to think about, to look at, to think about the way that we speak about our faith, the way that we teach about our faith, the way that we live out our faith, and ask ourselves, what are the essential things of our Christian faith? What, what, what is it that we've added that, that doesn't need to be there or shouldn't be there, that are causing a hindrance? What is it that we've, we've ignored that, that are preventing people from enjoying and experiencing the fullness of our Christian faith? What have we made that is, that is about our faith that has become more cultural um, than biblical? And that's what we'll be thinking about over the coming weeks when we open up this letter to Galatians on Sunday morning. And, and this Sunday morning, we're going to be looking at these first 10 verses um, that we read. Um, Paul stressing the importance of understanding what the true gospel is and the importance of not being misled by a different gospel, which, which Paul makes clear is really no gospel at all. Paul's argument is that when it comes to the gospel, very much like the Highlander, there can be only one. He starts by establishing his credentials as an apostle, um, appointed by Jesus. He does this at the start, and he goes into this in, in, in greater detail later on in the letter because his credentials as an apostle are, are being challenged by some people. In Northern Ireland terms, you might say that Paul has been accused of being a blow-in. He wasn't there from the start. He's somebody who's come in halfway through things. Um, he then begins his letter with the greeting of grace and peace. Grace and peace. But note who Paul says that the grace and peace is from. He doesn't say, I'm sending you grace and peace from me and the others around me. While the letter might be from Paul, an apostle, the grace and peace is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Luther says that these two words, grace and peace, constitute Christianity. It is by God's grace that salvation is possible. And it is because of salvation that we can experience peace with God, peace with one another, and peace with ourselves. The gospel, the true gospel that Paul is talking about is a gospel of grace and a gospel of peace. And the source of the gospel, Paul goes on to say in his greeting is this, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Right at the beginning of his letter, Paul is pointing to the cross. He is pointing to what Jesus did on the cross as being central, being essential to the gospel. We are forgiven, we are made righteous because and only because Jesus gave himself for us. 
This is important, and Paul will come back to it time and time again in this letter. Important for us to hear that our righteousness is because and only because Jesus laid down his life on the cross for us. And the reason that it's really important for us to grasp that, the reason for us to recognize that it is only through Jesus and not through anything that we do or possibly that we need to do is, is pointed out in, in, in verse 5. This is what he says. It's for our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. In other words, the glory for our salvation goes to God. And that is because our salvation has been made possible by God and only by God. If our salvation is made possible because of what Jesus has done on the cross, but then it also needs us to do certain things, to follow certain rules, then all the glory cannot go to God. Some of it goes to God for what he has done through Jesus on the cross, and some of it goes to us for, for being obedient and doing the things that we're doing. But Paul says no. Paul says all the glory must go to God because all of our salvation is possible and only possible because of what God has done through Jesus. It's that same sentiment that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, when he says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. In other words, none of the glory gets directed towards us for our salvation. It all belongs to God because it is all from God. But what Paul is starting to hear is that around this region of Galatia, there is something different being taught. There is something different being told to the people who, who are coming to Christ. There is, there is something being taught about them needing to convert to Judaism, to undergo certain rituals like circumcision, and then to live under the law in order to ensure their righteousness. And that would mean that it is no longer by faith alone that they are saved, by also, but also by works. And that would mean that what Jesus has done on the cross is not sufficient for salvation. Leaving the words that Jesus speaks on the cross, it is finished, completely meaningless. Because it wouldn't be finished. It would be only partly done. Right from the start of this letter, Paul is laying out his stall on the true foundation of the gospel, on salvation and righteousness being through Christ and Christ alone. The essence, the essential truth of this gospel is that we are saved by faith and not by works. And now that Paul has established in that greeting, now that he's established this essential truth about the gospel, he then goes on to express his surprise that already people are allowing a different gospel, which he says is really no gospel at all, to come into circulation amongst these churches. And it really is no gospel at all when you think about that the meaning of the word gospel is good news. Because if someone is saying to you that they've got good news for you, I've got really good news for you. If you want to be right in your relationship with God, if you want to be able to call yourself a child of God, if you want to know that you can inherit the kingdom, that God is going to restore this broken relationship that we have with him, and, and the way to do that is, is simply to believe in him, 
because he's already done all the hard work. He has sent his son, and his son has suffered and died for us and risen again, and all the work is already done. That is the good news that I'm sharing with you, and you think that is fantastic. That is good news, because that is God's grace directed towards me. And so I'm going to believe in him, and I'm going to follow him. And then you do that. And then they come to you and say, no, but actually, you didn't read the small print. There's a little bit more that needs to happen here. Open up your Old Testament, have a look. There's 613 odd laws and rules. You need to follow those as well. That doesn't sound like good news anymore. A different gospel, Paul says, which really is not a gospel at all. It really isn't good news that they're sharing with you. Paul goes on to actually call it a perversion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is something so wrong that it shouldn't be allowed to creep in to the churches in Galatia. So what has happened there is that there have been some cultural additions to the gospel. The gospel has been presented and people who have a background in Judaism have said, but there's got to be more, so we're going to add these other things that, need to do, that you need to do that need to happen. But it's something that's not limited just to the region of Galatia and it's not just limited to the time in which this is written in. Throughout the history of Christianity, even in the present age, we have seen perversions of the gospel. It's what led Luther to nail his 95 theses to the All Saints Church in Wittenberg. But unfortunately, that wasn't the end of it. Ongoing, ongoing people have added things, have perverted the gospel for different purposes. In South Africa, during the apartheid era, the gospel was perverted by some churches to justify white supremacy. It's been used to justify sectarianism in this country, even acts of violence. And in America today, we see this perversion of Christian nationalism being presented as the gospel. Wherever we see the gospel being used to justify hatred and bigotry, what we are seeing is a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And so it is important that we recognize that there are certain essentials to the gospel that we cannot discard while acknowledging that it is equally wrong to add certain expectations, certain behaviors and certain attitudes to the gospel as if they are necessary to be evidence for someone's salvation. Christian behavior, we might call it. Not very Christian of them, we might say, when we don't see them displaying it. But we've not been saved by meeting other people's expectations, and neither are we expected to do the bidding of other people. In verse, Paul, in verse 10, Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. While the essential truth of our gospel is that we are saved by faith in Jesus, and his work on the cross, and not by works, that is not the entirety of the gospel. The gospel doesn't end there. There is more. There are things that Jesus requires of us, that Jesus asks of us, as we live lives of people who have been saved. 
if one of the essentials of the gospel is to tell us that salvation is only possible through Christ, and that as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new life has begun. Has begun then that must mean that essential to the gospel is not only the means of attaining this new life, but also how we should live this new life. And it is not done by following the 613 laws and then some of Judaism. And perhaps if we're thinking about how culture impacts the gospel that is preached, then something that is clear in Northern Ireland, and it's clear particularly if you've come from outside of Northern Ireland and you come and live here, is that there is a shortfall in the gospel that has been preached in Northern Ireland. We might call it the gospel light. One of the criticisms I heard directed towards some of my Methodist colleagues when I was in ministry, and I include myself in the target of that criticism, is that we don't preach the gospel. And what was meant by that is that we weren't every Sunday preaching um, that message that you must be saved. But the truth is that we were preaching the gospel because we recognize that there is more to the gospel than just those four words. Yes, you must be saved. Yes, the only way to be saved is by faith in Jesus Christ. But there is more to the gospel than just being saved. Remember a few weeks ago when Paul was here and he said it's like, it's like the, the Israelites crossing the Jordan and then setting up camp on the other side of the Jordan and never entering the, entering the promised land. Our salvation doesn't end at our point of salvation. You also have to live the life of a saved person. When we are saved, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's what Paul writes to the, in his letter to the Romans in, in chapter eight of that letter. And he goes on to say that all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The gospel is not only that we are saved by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, but that as children of God, we are to live lives of obedience to the Spirit. And that is also essential to the gospel. To ignore it, to give it no weight, is to preach a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. When we talk about obedience to the Spirit, we're not only talking about making sure that I'm not doing the things that the Word of God says that I mustn't do. That, I'm, that, I'm, that if the Bible says I mustn't do this, that being obedient to the Spirit is to make sure I don't do those things. Because when we live a life like that, then that means that the gospel is only focused on me. It's only focused on me living a right life with God, of me benefiting from my salvation. But obedience to the Spirit also means doing the things that the Word of God is telling me to do and the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do. Because then the gospel becomes good news not only for me, but it becomes good news for the person who, who has no coat. It becomes good news for the hungry who are now being fed. It becomes good news for the poor who are now being clothed. It becomes good news for the lost who are now being found. And so over the next few weeks, we will think more deeply and hopefully be challenged in that thinking about where and how we have allowed our own form of legalism to cloud our understanding of what the gospel really is about. 
and how we have subtly imposed our own cultural expectations on people that distracts them and distracts us from living out the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit today. There are essential truths to the gospel and we cannot and should not lose them. We should not ignore them. We should not cast them aside and say we're just gonna focus on this. There are things that we have allowed to creep into the gospel. Behaviors and attitudes and actions that we expect people to display or we expect or people expect us to display that actually become a burden and a weight and make us, we become filled with guilt because we think I'm not a very good Christian because I'm not doing these things. Or wow, look at me, what a great Christian I am because I am doing these things, but we're forgetting and ignoring some of the other essentials. And that is our challenge over the coming weeks. That's what we're gonna be thinking about. And that's what we really wanna encourage in our lives as followers of Jesus. To be true disciples, to be true followers of Jesus, to be light and salt in this world because we are following the true gospel. And we are dropping all those things that have just weighed us down, that have just become too much of a burden for us. What is the gospel? The gospel is faith, salvation through faith in Christ alone, and then to live as people who are saved in Christ alone. Let us pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your words that tell us that we don't need to do anything more but just believe in you and then we will be saved. But your word also tells us that as we receive new life in you, we need to live that new life. And so God, I pray that in the coming weeks as Norman and I share um, what you are laying on our hearts through this letter that Paul has written, that we will be challenged but we will welcome that challenge because it will draw us closer to you. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.